Good morning, all. Beautiful day, isn't it? I know you're enjoying it. Welcome to springtime. So nice. Hey, welcome to week number four of The Grave Robber. We consider today the miracle of multiplication. It's a very important miracle which Jesus performed uh, before a crowd of about 20,000 people. We have much we can learn from this amazing miracle. Now, we're going to read from the text today from John's Gospel, chapter 6, the first 15 verses there. So if you have your Bible, please feel free to be turning there. Let me tell you a story before we read the scripture today. In 1939, a guy by the name of George Danzig enrolled in the grad school at the University of California at Berkeley. And he was a uh, very capable mathematician. One day, though, he arrived late to class. And the professor had put two um, statistical problems on the board, which George Danzig believed was the homework assignment. What he didn't hear because of his late arrival was the qualifier from, from the professor who said, these are two unsolvable statistical equations. And so George Danzig wrote them down, assuming they were homework, and he went home and later reported that it took him a little longer to figure them out than usual, but he finally solved both of them and turned them in. Well, two weeks later, there was an anxious knock at the door of his apartment. He recognized his professor, and he thought he was in trouble because he'd turned the assignment in late or something. So he was trying to apologize, and the professor said, No, no, you don't understand. You have just solved... (laughs) Two problems that have never been solved. They were unsolvable problems in statistics. And this was an early indication that George Danzig had some skills with his numbers. Well, uh, he had a rather fabulous career working in industry and also uh, for the Defense Department. In 1975, he won the National Medal of Science. When he was asked years later about solving these unsolvable equations, this is what he said, and I quote, He said, if someone had told me that those were two famous unsolved problems, I probably wouldn't even have tried to solve them. If someone had told me they were unsolvable, I wouldn't have tried because they're unsolvable. Not knowing that, Henry Ford, the great industrialist, said it this way, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. If you think you can't, then you won't pray. You won't seek God. You won't ask. You won't knock. You won't believe that he can do anything, that God is actually able. But this is what we've been learning in this series, studying the miracles of Jesus. That we should reduce all of our assumptions down to one basic assumption. This is what should define our faith, the assumption that our God is able. He can do anything, and he can make the impossible possible. Now, what we have here in John's Gospel, chapter 6, as a backdrop, I think is a famous, unsolvable statistical problem. Five loaves, two fish, and 20,000 mouths to feed. (laughs) How many of you would say, oh, that's unsolvable? That's an issue. That's a problem. So let's uh, see this amazing story from John's Gospel If you have your Bibles, turn there to chapter 6, verse 1. If not, we'll project these words on the screen. It is our custom to stand to honor God's word, and I'll invite you to do that as you're able. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. 
When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. May God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. We've been learning in this series, for example that every atom in the universe is subject to the authority of its creator. We saw this when Jesus turned water into wine. We talked about how to go, how to go through life realizing that we go nowhere by accident, that God is setting up for us divine appointments. Through the healing of the nobleman's son, we realize that God orchestrates our lives so that we find ourselves at the right place at the right time with the right people, and God unleashes his power. We also... Uh, realize that it's important to unlearn some of the assumptions we make. We live our lives, we tend to put God in a, in a, in a, in a box, the, the shape that we design, sometimes in our own image. This is what we imagine God is like and what he does, and this is who he is. And so we put him in this box, but we have to unlearn some of those assumptions because most of us put limitations on God. And I just want to submit to you that we shouldn't put any limitations, any limitations on God. He's a big God. And we're unlearning those assumptions through the miracle of the healing of the man invalid for 38 years. And so here we have today's text, chapter 6 of John's Gospel, the miracle of multiplication. And I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking that this is just an isolated miracle, that God only multiplied fish or food one time. Uh, God is not only a person who can multiply food, he can multiply anything. Anything we place in his hands can be multiplied because God can do Anything. I'll remind you from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 13. God spoke to his people in those days. We hear these words, I will bless you and I will love you and I will multiply you. When you, when you study the word multiplication or multiply from your concordance, you find that the Bible reports the word multiply a hundred different times in a hundred different settings. God is interested in bringing multiplication to us. So Jesus is followed by a great crowd. He's healing the sick. They're enamored with his teaching and his miracle-working power. They follow him, a crowd of 5,000 men, approximately 20,000 total, gathered together near the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus asks Philip the question, where can we buy some bread to feed everyone? Philip says, seriously? But in verse 6 of that text, he asks this only to test Philip. To test Philip. He had already had in mind what he was going to do. And that leads me to the first thing on the outline, if you're following that, that the miracles happen through testing. Miracles through testing. Now, I know uh, we're in a college town, and most of us, all of us have been to school at one form or another. 
And when you hear testing, you know, we just go, oh, there's already too many tests in life. But listen to me. This is God's plan. This is God's way. This is God's protocol. God actually instructs us. He prepares us. And then the test follows. He, he prepares us. And then the application is expected. And this is the way God shapes us and forms us and grows us and develops our character and expands our faith through tests. For example, you wouldn't have your degree, your high school degree, your college degree, your postgrad degree, if you hadn't passed the test. None of us would be able to drive a car legally if we didn't pass a test. And if we don't pass the test that God gives us, then we can't, we can't inherit the testimony, the power of our story that is real, influences others because of God's amazing grace. You know, all of us know people who've been Christians maybe for 25 years, 20, 25 years. But listen to me carefully. Not everyone who's been a follower of Jesus has 25 years of experience. Sometimes you meet people who've been a Christian for 25 years who have just one year of experience that they keep repeating 25 times. They have failed to pass the test. They have failed to learn the lesson. How many of you in the room today besides me have ever heard yourself say, pray, or think, God, how many times do I have to learn this lesson? Can I get a witness? I mean, that happens to us, right? And what, what we're reminded of is a couple of things. One is we're a little slow. And the other thing is that God is tenacious, that God will not give up on us. And we, the, the answer to the question, how many times do I have to learn this lesson? And God says, as many times as it takes for you to pass the test. And so God is constantly bringing us into remedial learning. And he's, and he's dogged about this and tenacious about this. And he, 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 is, he is at enmity with the status quo. He's at unrest with the way things are. And so he continues to shape us and mold us into his image. And thank God for his goodness and faithfulness to us that way. And so here's what I know for sure. God places all of us in the test. Some of you are being tested right now, for example, in the area of sexual purity. God wants to know if you can stay sexually pure while you're a single person. Because he knows if you'll stay pure while you're a single person, then it'll be easier for you to keep covenant with your, with your married spouse when you are married. Some of you right now are be, being tested in the, in the area of your job. You know that the job you have right now isn't a great job. And it's not the job that you want. But God wants to know will you be faithful in the small things that he's given you. So that one day when you have a better job, you can be faithful in that. Some of you are being tested right now in the area of your giving. You say, well, you know, my, my resources are limited. I have unusual circumstances, but God wants to know if you're faithful. Because you'll be faithful in the small things that God places in your hands. Once your income comes to normal or comes to the middle class or upper class, then God can trust you with greater things. We're all being tested. Here's my point. We're all living in a proving ground. And God not only wants to test you to see if you can pass the test, but God wants us to test him so that he can prove to us his faithfulness and goodness to us. And he's more than willing to do that. We see men and women of the Bible being tested many, many times. Abraham took his only son Isaac up on Mount Moriah. That was a test. We know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were placed in a fiery furnace. That was a test. How many of you understand the fiery furnace? Maybe you're in one right now. This is a test. We see... We see uh, Joseph being tested in that Egyptian prison and in other parts of his life as God shaped his character and prepared him for his destiny. Nehemiah was a guy who led the nation of Israel back to, back to Jerusalem out of Babylonian captivity, and he was a cupbearer to the king. A menial, menial job, menial, menial task. 
But this was a test because God wanted to know if he could trust Nehemiah with real responsibility. Here's a question for you. Maybe you're in a menial job right now. And you said, look, this isn't my, the job that I aspire to. This isn't the job that I want to have. This isn't the job I'm going to have. And I say, okay, fine. But can you be good at a bad job? Can you do a good job at a bad job? Can you pass that test? Every test is an opportunity for you to prove yourself to God and for God to prove himself to you. Deuteronomy 8.2, I love this, I love this. Moses is recounting the journey through the wilderness and here's what he said. He said, you shall remember all the ways which the Lord thy God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to prove you, and to know what's in your heart. To humble you, to prove you, and to know what's in your heart. Have you ever been in a season of your life where God was humbling you? Testing you, proving you, see what's in your heart, see what your real motives are? I pastored a church uh, while I was in grad school in southern Indiana in a small town uh, right across the Ohio River from Louisville, Kentucky called Clarksville. The, the name of the church was Ohio Falls United Methodist Church, and it was, it was right, uh, right off the Ohio River where there's natural falls in the river, and it's a very dramatic natural, uh, natural feature. And the church, when I started, had about 50 people in it, and I pastored that church for three years. And the last Sunday that I preached there, we had about 50, 50 people there. So we went from 50 to, and over three years, to 50. <laughs> so I got a lot of opportunity to say, God, thank you. Thank you for humbling me. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for proving me. Thank you for testing my motives. There was a guy in the church that I always measured my preaching by because he had one of two responses after every sermon. If he came up to me and said, I enjoyed that sermon, I knew that I had preached a poor sermon. Because anything he would enjoy couldn't be good from a spiritual point of view. I, just, I knew that about him. And he always had that southern draw too. You know, was, and, and he'd say, I enjoyed that. I really appreciate that sermon. I enjoyed that. Now, if you're enjoying the sermon today, listen... That's not my goal. I really don't care if you enjoy it or not. I, so the other response that I would get from him, and this is how I knew if I preached a good sermon, he would say, that was an interesting sermon. He'd walk up to me, he'd a little scowl, and he'd say, interesting sermon, Pastor. Interesting. Now that was his way of saying, that thing stunk. And I, it, you know, it stepped all over my toes. I didn't care for it. But I knew when he said it was interesting that I, I'd preached a good sermon. This was a proving ground for me. And Psalm 18.25 says that with the faithful, you prove yourself faithful. And with the blameless, you prove yourself blameless. And with the pure, you prove yourself pure. And so here's what I'm getting at. God is going to prove himself to you. And he is going to do it. And I'm going to stand on the promises of God. And I'm going to submit to the work of God until I can pass the test and expand my faith and grow my character into the image of Jesus Christ. So miracles actually begin to flow when we pass the test through testing. Here's the second thought I want to give you from this text, and that is miracles come through giving. Come through giving. Philip answered, it'd take more than a half year's wage to give all these people at least one bite. Listen to me carefully. There are going to be moments in your life where things do not add up. This don't add up. Look, if I do this, I can't do that. 
if I do the other, then I can't do this and that. It just doesn't add up. In this case, in this case, God asked Philip, Jesus asked Philip, you know, what's five plus two? And Philip said, seven. Five plus two is seven. Jesus said, no. No, five plus two equals 20,000 remainder 12. Because you take five plus two and you put it in the hands of God and suddenly the equation gets all warped and morphed. Because in the hands of God, small things can become miraculous things. And if we can learn that, it'll make a difference. It'll change our lives. Years ago, we were trying to figure out how to develop our campus, our physical campus here for the church. We needed a place to house our our life together. And we'd purchased some acres out north of town. We were going to build something from the ground up. And we decided that phase one, you know, just a minimal kind of building that we could use would cost about a million and a half dollars. And so at the time, we needed a million and a half dollars. And so I asked my financial secretary, how much money do we have? We need a million and a half. How much do we have? And she reported to me, we have $12,500. I said, no, no, in all of our accounts, she said, $12,500. How many of you know you pray better when you're desperate? You just say, wow, I, I have to pray. <laughs> and so we began to pray about that. And at the same time, there was a district project in our denomination, a district project where the district was asking for $25,000 among all the Methodist churches in Muncie. And so if we'd all take up a collection, we could get $25,000 together. And, and I just began to get this sense that the project was a meaningful one. I just thought maybe we should just fund the whole thing just from our church. And so I ca- called some special meetings and folks came uh, together uh, for a whole week and we were fasting and we were praying. We were seeking God because we had a million and a half dollar need and we only had $12,000. And so we, we had to hear from God. You know, that just makes you press into God. And through the course of that week, we had lovely people, you know, just seeking God and studying the scripture. And people would get up and read a scripture. God's been speaking to me through this scripture. And another person say, you know, I get this sense of what God's saying. And by the end of that week, we had this strong sensation that we were supposed to collect all the money we had. And then take up another offering, add to it, get to $25,000 and just give it all away. And the reason we sense that is because we've, we found in the course of that week of seeking God this little obscure question in one of the minor prophets, and it asked the question, is your seed still in the barn? And we live in, a, in an agricultural area, and we all understand sowing and reaping. I mean, we get this, right? I mean, if you've got seed in the barn and you need a harvest in the field, if the seed is in the barn, it's not doing any good if you want to harvest. So you've got to get the seed out of the barn and put it in the ground in order to get a harvest. Any questions? This is the law of sowing and reaping. This is the way it works. This is the order of things, and we understand it. But there's not only a natural application to sowing and reaping, but there's also a spiritual application to this. And we were hearing God say, look, if you've got your spiritual seed in the, in the barn, you've got to get it out. And so th- we interpreted that to mean we need to give away everything we have. <laughs> now, how many of you know things don't add up? We had $12,000, we collected some more, had $25,000 and gave it all away in the face of a million and a half dollar need. I'm just saying sometimes things don't add up. But a little bit in the hands of God can become a lot because of the miracle of multiplication. I, uh, I submit to you today that we are sitting in a very comfortable building 
It's well-appointed. It's nice. It's decent. It's, it, it, it helps us live our lives together and worship God. And our entire campus here, we have 40 acres now. We have about 95,000 square feet of floor space. We've, we've got just all kinds of beautiful spaces. And it's a wonderful gift of God. I have only one explanation for you about how we went from nothing in terms of financial resource to this kind of facility. And I'll show it to you in a verse of scripture. It's in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. This is, this, is how it, this is my only explanation. And it says, Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. With the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Now this is the law of measures. This is a, this is a kingdom principle. It's a law of measure. It's a, it's a law of sowing of, and reaping, which means you cannot cheat God. You cannot break the law of sowing and reaping and expect it to, to function and work. And the good news that I want to share with you today is you cannot outgive God. It's a law. It's the law of measures. The, the, the measure that you extend to others is the measure that will be given back to you. It's sowing and reaping. And we began to learn that. We began to understand that. And so we know that, that God blesses people. But the reason God blesses you is for more sowing. It's not to keep more seed in the barn. You understand, if your life is a life that's been blessed, you haven't been blessed for, to raise your standard of living. You've been blessed to raise your standard of giving. This, this is the way it works. Because the way you measure it, it me- is measured back to you. I could get a lot of witnesses here about the truth. Listen, I believe this. I live this personally, and and this is how I lead professionally, according to the law of measures. And so I want to encourage you with this. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that you're going to be rich and everybody's going to be rich. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I I don't believe God wants everybody to be rich. What I do believe is that God calls everyone to be a giver. And that small things in his hands become multiplied into great things. And that doesn't mean you won't have lean years. I mean, Beth and I understand lean years. We've been married 38 years, and we, we get lean years. I mean, there, was a, there were many lean years for us. When we were in a lean year, for example, we, but we had rich people problems. You know, we couldn't afford to fix the second car, so we had to make, make do with one. There, was a, there, was, there were years when we couldn't afford to buy cable TV. It was a travesty. My favorite team was on ESPN. I'd have to call friends and say, can I come over to your house and watch a game? It was pitiful. So I couldn't afford cable. We understand what it's like to say, now, the car needs gas, and so don't put more than $5 worth of gas in the car or there won't be enough to buy milk for the boys. We get that. But here's what we learn. When you give God some time, and you give God faithfully the little that he places in your hands, God will take the little that you put in his hands and he will multiply it. You give it time and God will always make good on his promises. It's the law of measures. The law of measures. The way you measure it out, it's measured back. We have a core conviction at Union Chapel that God will bless us in proportion to the way we give to missions and the way we care for the poor. In fact, I have a little phrase that 
that I've used for many, many years. I just ask this question. It's kind, of the, it's kind of my little quiz that I give myself. Are we still on track? Are our motives still right? Is our focus still good? And I just ask the question, are we good to children and youth? Are we good to the poor? And are we good to preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth? The youth, the poor, the nations. That's just a little, that's just a little screen through which I filter the way we give. Because I believe in the law of measures, if we're taking care of the youngest among us and we're taking care of the poor among us and we're taking care of the gospel witness to the ends of the earth because the worst thing that can possibly happen to a human being is to go through their whole life without knowing that God loves them and he's made a way for them and he has a great plan and purpose for their lives. Never having heard the name of Jesus. That's the worst thing that can possibly happen. And we want to be part of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. And so when we measure out in missions and we measure out to the poor and we measure out to the youth, the next generation, then here's what we believe. God will help us take care of the bottom line. If we'll take care of those things, God will take care of us. If we take care of God's mission, God will take care of us. It's the law of measures. It's the law of measures. And I'm just here to tell you that it works. You may not have passed the test in this area of your life personally, but I can tell you God always passes this test. That's why he says, test me now in this, says the Lord. See if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that is too great for you to contain. So I challenge you to think about the miracles that happen through giving. Tithing is simply trusting God and the law of measures. Yeah. Let me tell you a story that comes from 1950 and a man by the name of Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce was in Korea following the war there in Korea. And he was working with children who had been orphaned because of the war. And one day he was observing a line of small children, all of them orphaned, and they were in a feeding line. And he watched one little guy who was especially weak in the line, just a little bitty guy. And then he realized that they had run out of food before he got, got up there for food. And this little guy wobbled and fell to the ground. When he, when he realized there was no more food, this little boy fell to the ground and when, by the time Bob Pierce had gotten to him, the little boy had stopped breathing. He died. The little guy just fell dead because of hopelessness and malnutrition. And Bob Pierce knelt over that boy that day and he prayed a simple prayer. God, this breaks my heart. It must break your heart. And he said, if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to make sure that there's always food available on this line. On a subsequent trip, Bob Pierce made, met a young girl named White Jade who had been beaten and disowned by her family because of her Christian faith. And he learned about her story one day and he reached in his pocket and all the money Bob Pierce had that day was $5. He had a $5 bill and he gave five bucks to this little girl starving on the street of Korea. And he handed her five bucks and he said, now this is for today, but he said, every month I'm going to send you money so you can subsist. And somewhere in the heart and mind and consciousness of Bob Pierce, this concept was formed to sponsor children. Bob Pierce came home. And Bob Pierce is the one who coined this phrase in prayer that many of us have heard. The phrase in prayer is this, God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. And Bob Pierce started a little organization called World Vision. Let me tell you what World Vision's budget is in 2015. The World Vision budget this year is $2.7 billion. That's billion with a B. 
$2.7 billion. Tens of millions of children have been fed and clothed and medicated around the world through the auspices of World Vision over the decades. It is an amazing story. But you know how it got started? You know how a $2.7 billion budget got started? Five bucks. Five bucks. And that's the way it always gets started. That's the way it always happens. You take the five loaves and two fish that God has placed in your hand and you place them in his hands and miracles start happening. If you wait, if you wait till you've got 5,000 fish in your hand to start doing something, you'll never do it. You'll never get there. You'll, you'll never start. You'll, 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 never, you'll never adopt that child. You'll never apply for grad school. You'll never go on the mission trip. You'll never adopt an orphan from another country. Those things just won't happen if you wait until you have enough. Everything always starts with the little, and it becomes much in God's hands. Now, let me take an opportunity just to say thank you to so many of you who are so generous to the life of our church here. You give your life. I mean, when you, when you give the resources God places, it's really giving your life. You, you have gifts, and you have energy, and you have time, and you... You give that so that you get a wage and you build a business and you earn, an, earn a living from that. And from those proceeds, you give a portion to, to expand the kingdom and to bless other people. And, and I just want to say thank you for so many of you who are so generous and understand the law of measures and understand the miracles that happen when you give. And so thank you. And for those of you who aren't passing this test right now, could I just nudge you and urge you? This is the application point. What should I do after hearing this sermon? <laughs> it's an easy application. Just start giving. Just put the little that God has placed in your hands and place that little in his hands. That's where miracles start. Now, here's a third thing I want to share from this text, and it's the miracle through gratitude. This is just kind of a brief moment, and it's easy to miss. But Jesus takes five loaves, little flat little barley loaves, and two fish. He's got them in his hands. He's got 20,000 people in front of him ready to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was responsible for feeding 20,000 people and I've, I've just got two hands full of food, <laughs> I can tell you my, my first instinct isn't to pray and go, thank you, God, that everybody's going to get all they want to eat. That's not my instinct. My instinct would be... Uh, Somebody call the police because we're, we're going to need crowd control because <laughs> I'm about to get overrun by 20,000 hungry people and this food isn't going to last very long. We're going to have ourselves a riot. Mm -hmm. But Jesus says, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your blessing. And then he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. That's just an amazing thing. I think the multiplier in this story is gratitude. It's gratitude. Thank you, God. Let me put a statement on the screen. See if you agree with this. And it says simply this. Joy isn't getting what you want. It's appreciating what you have. Joy isn't getting what you want. It's appreciating what you have. Mm -hmm. So God won't multiply what you have till you give thanks. That leads me to this last point that I want to make. Number four, if you're on the outline. The miracle through trust. Miracle through trust. One of the great uh, honors of my life has been the invitation to serve on the board of trustees of Asbury Theological Seminary. And when I 
came on the board at the seminary, I was really hoping for smooth sailing and easy going because it's a, such a fine institution and, and so uh, stable for so long. Unfortunately, as soon as I got on the board, uh, I realized that the seminary was in some level of crisis. And the seminary president uh, had to be uh, dismissed. And, and this is when o, the 08 recession hit and, and the receipts to the seminary went down and the, the corpus of our foundation, our endowment, uh, was losing, hemorrhage and eroding by millions and millions of dollars. And it was just very, very difficult. We had to make big layoffs on the campus, and, and it was just very challenging. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all that, there was a, a man whose relationship with the seminary had been cultivated by one of our former presidents, Dr. Maxie Dunham, and his name is Paul Amos. Paul Amos is a very successful businessman whose business virtually all of you have familiarity with. Paul Amos and his family privately own an insurance company called Aflac Insurance. Can you see and hear the Aflac duck? (laughs) Now, here's what I want you to know. The Amos family, who owns Aflac Insurance, are lovely Christian people. And they have formed a foundation out out of the amazing success of their business. And they give away millions and millions of dollars every year to Christian causes around the world. And Paul Amos, befriended by our former president, became persuaded that Asbury Seminary should have an additional um, Ph.D. offering that would be of a strategic nature, uh, nature for world evangelization. What we did with our studies is, is we realized that a person with a Ph.D. in biblical studies could be strategically placed in some part of the world that is underdeveloped in terms of the theological and, and spiritual formation piece. And such a person strategically placed where the church is growing and emerging in the world right now could literally reach, in the course of his or her career, could reach millions of people in a positive way. And Paul Amos said, I believe that Asbury Seminary is the right place to train such PhDs in biblical studies. And so he gave, he granted the seminary $10 million. He said, here's $10 million dollars to fund this chair for a Ph.D. in biblical studies. And it encouraged us. It was helpful. In the midst of all that crisis, all of that turmoil, all of that uncertainty, here was a guy who took the five loaves and two fish because $10 million for, is a lot of money for anybody, right? For the Amos family, it's, you know, it's just another day at, at, at work. And thank God that there are people like that in the world. And so he, he put the little that he had in God's hands, and now miracles are starting to happen. It's, it's, a, it's just an amazing, an amazing thing. And I think there's something about serving as a trustee for the last several years that has shifted my whole mentality. And let me explain it. For starters, the first part of the word trustee is trust. Everyone say trust. 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 And that's essentially all we are, isn't it? We are trustees of whatever God places in our hands. I'm a trustee. You're a trustee. You simply place in trust what God has given you. And, and so we find ourselves thankful for the opportunity to try to be trustworthy with what God has given us. And so my whole point is to simply say that if you'll give, placing God's hands, 
what he has given you, miracles will begin to happen. Let me tell you one more story. Last week I told you a story about a, a miracle that I witnessed uh, many years ago in Detroit, Michigan, a six-year-old girl who was born uh, very deformed, crippled, scoliosis. One of her legs was about eight inches shorter than the other, foot pointing in the wrong direction. And I, and I described to you that, that miracle, creative miracle that occurred in that young girl's life. I, I literally watched her father carry her to the front of a, of a meeting one evening in this condition, crippled condition, heavy braces and straps around her body, which were taken off of her body, and, and through prayer. Uh, I witnessed from 20 feet away, I saw it with my own eyes, this little girl's body come completely whole. Her father carried her to the front. Again, one of her legs eight inches shorter than the other, her foot pointing the wrong direction. Needless to say, she'd never walk. Total, totally crippled, handicapped that way. And in about 10 minutes, I saw her running, completely whole, running back and forth across the front of that place. Now, if you've got, if you've got God in a box that doesn't permit that, then you're going to have to start reducing your assumptions down to our God is able. Oh, that's what that means. Again, when I was a young Christian, about 17 years old, our little youth group in Basel, Indiana, in the United Methodist Church there, decided to have a fundraiser chili supper. And the promotion for this chili supper must have gone really well because a lot of people came. The weather was good. It was a Saturday night on a, uh, in the fall. And we had prepared two big pots of chili. Our youth leaders, Gary and Mert Goen, M-E-R-T, Goen. Young couple, about 25 years old, had a couple of young kids. They were the volunteer youth directors at the church. And, you know, 15 or 20 of us kids, teenagers, and we're there in the church, little bitty church, less than 100 people in the church. And we, we decided to have a chili supper, and we had two pots. You know, these are big industrial pots, you know, about 18 inches in diameter and maybe a foot deep. And we prepared two of these pots full of chili. And people lined up for the chili dinner. And we were waiting tables, and Mert, going, was ladling out the chili into these little plastic church bowls, you know, handing people chili. And within an hour or so, the first pot had been completely consumed. We set that aside, and the second pot, she's dipping out of the second pot, and it went down to about, about half full. There's about six inches left in the bottom of this pot. And I went in there, and I kind of leaned over and looked at that, and I looked at Mert, and I said, is that all we have left? And she said, yes, how many people are left? And I said, well, let me just go check again. I was starting to get a little worried because I, I noticed things like that. And so I went out and, you know, so this was in the church basement, little bitty church basement. See, she had a little kitchen in there and then the little counter with the little accordion windows, you know, over the counter. Can you see it? And, a little ch- and so I walked out there uh, and people were in front of the counter, lined up alongside of the wall out into the hallway, up the stairs, out to the narthex, out on the front stoop, down the front stairs, out the front walk, and down the street. (laughs) And I went back in there and I looked at Mert going, I said, we're in trouble. (laughs) She said, how many people are left? I said, there's a hundred more people out there. She looked at me, big eyed, big brown eyes, I can still see her. She's just a kid too, you know, 25 years old. And, and, and 
a few more kids kind of gathered around. What are we going to do? And we, I said, well, how much water can you add to chili soup? <laughs> <laughs> we just thought, well, not that much. Can't add that much. <laughs> and we checked the watch. You know, the, the, the grocery store in Boswell, we all knew, was open till 5 o'clock on Saturday night. If you didn't get your groceries before then, the next shot you had was Monday morning. That was it. Small town grocery. I mean, that's what, that was life. And so can't, we can't get more supplies. So here we are. We're stuck. And then there was a voice. I can't remember who even said it. But someone said, let's pray that God will multiply the chili. Now, here's when I look back on that, one, there's a couple of things. One is I'm so grateful that there wasn't some old crusty Methodist in the room, in the kitchen there going, now, now, children, let's uh, not lose touch with reality here. You know, we can't. Expect God to multiply chili. (laughs) Which very likely could have happened if there had been folks who had already had the faith knocked out of them through life. Here was the most amazing moment, I think. The most amazing moment. I'm going to tell you some other amazing moments. This was really amazing. Every one of us in the room, when we heard the words, let's pray and ask God to multiply the chili, we all said, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. And we circled up, maybe a dozen of us, we just circled up, held hands. Someone prayed to someone, Lord, you know we're going to run out of chili. We've got all these people. And so we prayed, multiply the chili in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple faith. Listen, there was no lightning, there was no thunder, there was no angels, no angels stirring the chili. Ooh, look, the chili's being stirred. None of that is going on. (laughs) And so we opened up the the little accordion windows and said, okay, we're back in business. And Mert Gowen stood there and started dipping, 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 one bowl, serve a dozen people, dipping, dipping, two dozen, three dozen, four dozen, five dozen people, dipping, dipping, dipping. And after about 10, 20 minutes, we'd go in there and just kind of look over the edge of that pot. It never went down. Listen to me. From the time we prayed, it never went down. And she dipped and dipped and dipped and dipped chili out of that pot. And it never went down. You wonder how the miracle happened when Jesus had a loaf of little barley, flat little barley loaf. How does that work? I mean, does he break it off, hands it to someone, by the time his hand's back, it's a full loaf again. Break it off? Hmm. Break it off? Bread? Bread never runs out. Chili wouldn't run out. A little bit in the hands of Jesus. So everyone was fed. People were leaving. So that was really good chili. We thought, you have no idea. We weren't talking about it. We weren't saying anything. We were just going, wow, look at that. Everyone was fed and had as much as they wanted, and they were left. They were gone. And then us kids, we washed off the bowls. We went and said, I want some of that chili. And so she dipped out chili to all of us, and we ate as much as we wanted. We, I, you know, I, I can eat a lot of little bowls of chili. Three or four bowls. And we all went back in there, and it had not gone down. And then we, then we looked at each other and said, how do you get rid of chili like this? <laughs> I mean, you just start pouring it. You know, it fills up the basement, you know, and then out there. <laughs> Midwestern town flooded in chili. 
I don't know if you remember these uh, kind of industrial containers. They're like one-gallon plastic uh, jar-shaped things with a big round metal lid that you screwed on. I don't know if you, they still make those or not, but back in the day, you know, you get industrial, you know, pickles and stuff came in these. And so we had four of those. And I'm the one who actually took the pot, and so we got one of those out, and we'll just see what happens. We'll, you know, just pour them into these. So I lifted up the, the pot, and I poured it into this first gallon, and it just filled right up to the top. And I looked in, and it was still just as full as when I started. We put the lid on that one, brought the second one in, and I just, I just poured it out like this, and it filled up to the top, and it's still just as full. So when I started, we just look at each other like, you know, we need more containers. We had a third one, filled it to the top, still no evidence that it was going down. Are you okay with this? You know, God listens to what I say. A man walked up to me this morning before the first service, a man who's walked with God for a while. He walked up to me, had a troubled look on his face. He said, I want you to know that your sermons last week, he said, it troubled me. And I said, Good. And then he looked at me and said, No, I mean, it really troubled me. And then I realized, Well, maybe it's not good. I said, what was so troubling? He said, when you described the miracle of that little girl, he said, it was hard for me to believe that. And then he looked at me and he said, you know, I I really respect you, but he said, I'm not sure about you. So he was questioning my veracity. So I leaned down. He's a little shorter than me. I leaned down and looked him right, you know, I was nose to nose with him. And I said, listen to me. These two eyes you see right here, I saw that miracle. And it's not the only miracle I've seen. I could tell you a lot more stories. That one's just pretty dramatic. And I'm telling you, that crippled little girl within 10 minutes was running. So you'll have to, you'll have to deal with that. To God. It's true. And so, I, so the, last, the last little container, I picked it up, the fourth, it's the last one we had. And so the fourth one, I, I poured it, and as I was pouring I could feel it starting to light. And I realized it's running out. And it filled right up to the top. And it was gone. We put the lid on it. <laughs> Is that the greatest thing you've ever heard? Isn't that amazing? I'm just telling you that if you take the little that you have in your hands and you put it in God's hands, it changes the whole equation. And what is impossible with men becomes possible with God. He can do anything because our God is able. Yeah, true. So you hang on. Don't you give up. Don't you let go. You pass the test. You persevere. You walk in faithfulness. You do the right thing. You know, 99 times out of 100 people say, I just don't know what to do. Sure you do. Do the right thing. I'm just so confused. No, you don't have to be confusing. Do the right thing. Do the faithful thing. Because little little becomes much in the hands of God. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? All right, now would you stand with me? Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we pray that you would help us to process this word today with a humble spirit. God, I pray that you would help us to trust you, to trust you enough to put what little we have into your hands. 
Lord, we thank you for your promise. You said you would love us and bless us and multiply us. So I thank you for those who have been faithful, who are giving you what belongs to you. They're living in a generous way. And God, I pray that you would multiply them in the way you multiplied these fish and loaves, not for any personal selfish reason, but so that we can be a greater blessing to the people around us, so that we can get in on the game that is afoot. There's a, there's a wonderful work and movement of your Holy Spirit in this day. And oh God, I pray right now in a prophetic way, and I thank you that the resources necessary to fulfill the mission that you've called us to fulfill is coming. We thank you, God, that as we place the small things that we have in your hands, that you're going to multiply that and that you're going to give us the people and the places and the, and the, and the relationships and the financial resources and, and the strategies and the systems and everything necessary to see an expanded move of your spirit, expansion of your kingdom through the life of our church. Lord, bless the youth today, children and youth, bless them. May those people within the influence of our ministry in our lives, may they see a great light and find hope in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for the poor. We know that they are near to your heart. And we pray, oh God, for more compassion and a more deeply committed role in bringing hope to such people. And Lord, we pray for the, for the nations of the world, the dark places, the dark corners, dark places in our own city, neighborhoods that are just dark, and need a light. And other cities in our, in our community, our culture, that, that need a light. Lord, thank you that you would allow us to be raised up in this hour, to get, to get involved, to be part of what you're doing. Lord, in all these ways, God, this destiny can be realized, this legacy fulfilled as we place the small things in your hands. So we thank you that you are working and preparing these good works in advance. Help us then be the people. Let us be the people, God, who give our five loaves and two fish. We pray in Jesus' name. And the people said, amen.